Hey guys, Veronica, Andrew, and Nate here. We are Foodies Watching Movies, a podcast dedicated to awesome movies, great food, and that's about it. Check us out on the JIC Network at www.journeyintocomics.com. Maybe throw some money over to our Patreon so we can eat this week. And now your feature presentation. Following the following journey into comics. 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 Network. 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 Production. Production. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is episode thirty-two of Poor Three Sixty, and like Greenland, Poor Three Sixty is not for sale. I am your host, Andrew Porn. as always, this is a show that covers topics of importance and topics that I sometimes know nothing about and kind of find out about it after the fact and I have to do the due diligence of research to figure out what it's what is going on in the world and then share it with you guys. And that brings me to a topic for this week that people have been asking me to talk about and I really haven't even dug much of it. I just hear about them in the media and then I saw this article that I thought was worth kind of diving into the topic. So this episode is going to be tentatively called Proud Boys versus uh, Antifa, or Antifa. I don't know how you really pronounce it. I've just seen it everywhere. And basically, Proud Boys is like an alt-right group, and Antifa, which stands for anti-fascist. I don't know if it's Antifa... Or anti, I don't know. I don't know if it's a long, short, I don't know how the pronunciation is. But let's dig into this article I saw, which is about um, a Portland rally. Um, There's a Portland rally for the Proud Boys, or I guess. I honestly don't know what the, who the Proud Boys are, but we're going to dig into that. But let me go through this article, which is from the Rolling Stone, which I don't know why it's a source for your world or your US News, World News, whatever, but there you have it. So. In the weeks leading up to the August 17th, which was just a couple days ago, Proud Boys Rally in Portland, Oregon, many were unsure what to expect. Local law enforcement officials and many counterproducers were concerned about the prospect of increased violence at the rally. Particularly in light of a high-profile incident last June featuring right-wing journalist and provocateur Andy Nigo, or Ningo, increasingly violent rhetoric from members of the organization, particularly from organizer Joe Biggs, also viewed fears that the rally would result in violence. On Saturday, however, more than 1,000 anti-fascist activists showed up at the rally in downtown Portland to protest largely peacefully, despite about a dozen arrests and a handful of minor injuries. All in all, the event was less violent than many had feared, according to Mayor Ted Wheeler. I'm grateful this was a large, this was largely a peaceful event, Wheeler said in a press conference after the rally, preparing for and planning for a worst-case scenario. The number of counterparts at the rally also dwarfed that of the 300 Proud Boys and other far-right allies in attendance, thanks in large part to local organizing efforts on the left, as well as wishes of internal tensions among members of this far-right organizations. Men on the far-right who planned to attend in the rally dropped out, following threats on Portland officials that they would be arrested if they engaged in violence, according to the report from the Daily Beast. As Rolling Stone has previously reported the Proud Boys are a far-right group founded by Gavin McKins, a former media mogul turned far-right icon. The organization has been classified as a hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center. Due to its espousal of racist, misogynistic, and Islamic-phobic ideology, the Proud Boys have been disputed this characterization filing a defamation suit against the SPLC earlier this year. The Proud Boys have drawn criticism in particular for inciting violence, most notably after the McKen's 
speaking engagement at the Metropolitan Republican Club in New York City last year, which resulted in the arrest of a number of members. McKinnis left the organization shortly after this incident. Despite its violent reputation, however, the organization has maintained its ties to mainstream GOP political figures, and its current leader, Enrique Tarrio, is listed as a Florida State Director for the organization Latinos for Trump. Concerns about mounting tensions in Portland started brewing in June when right-wing journalist and provocateur Anthony Go tweeted that he had been assaulted by Antifa, the term used to describe a loosely organized collective of anti-fascist protesters, at a Proud Boys rally. The incident prompted an outpouring of hand-wringing on both sides of the ideological spectrum, with the figures decry- uh, decreeing the alleged violent threats posed by anti-fascist protesters and Republican Senator Ted Cruz and Bill Cassidy proposing legislation declaring Antifa a domestic terrorist group. The mass shootings earlier this year in El Paso, Texas, and Dayton, Ohio also helped to fuel the demonization of Antifa, with many members of the far right initially claiming that both of the shooters were Antifa. The El Paso shooter was a Trump supporter who posted an explicitly white nationalist manifesto minutes before the attack. The Dayton shooter expressed left-wing views on social media, but there is no evidence he was engaged in local anti-fascist protests or organizing, nor that the attack was politically motivated. Social media posts from Joe Biggs, a former InfoWars reporter and the organizer of the August 17th Proud Boys rally, also concerns that he would the rally would devolve into violence in one social media post part of the rally. Big urge attendees to get a gun, buy ammo, get your gun license, get training, practice as much as you can to be ready because the left isn't playing anymore, neither should we. Another video showed Biggs wielding a baseball bat with a pro-jump slogan on it while wearing a t-shirt with the message, train to throw communists out of helicopters. Reference to the Chilean dictator Pinochet practice of murdering political dissidents. In a Facebook post last week, however, Biggs apparently chastened by an FBI visit to his home, encouraged those who plan to attend the rally to tone down rhetoric. Attempts to stir attention in Portland and demonize Antifa came to a head on Saturday. Bridget himself himself tweeted about the Portland rally. Portland's being watched very closely. Hopefully the mayor will be able to do, properly do his job. Trump, who had been criticized for failing to adequately condemn the rising white supremacist domestic terrorism threat. Also, Demodano's previous anti, anti-Antifa stance, referring them as an organization of terror. And an anti Antifa, which so it's it's an anti anti fascist group, which makes it sound like you're just a it's just you're pro fascism, which is not great. So, and I know an organization is more than what they are, what they are in name only. Um, but it's people, yeah, major organizations being given to naming Antifa an organization of terror. Portland's being watched very closely. Over the mayor will be able to properly do his job. That was his tweet. So it, the article continues, while the August 17th Portland rally was less brutal than many had feared, it was not without incident. According to CNN, 30 people at the rally were arrested, and estimated six people were injured, and one person taken to the hospital for their injuries. The report noted that it was unclear how many of those arrests were affiliated with the counter-protesters or with the Proud Boys and other far-right groups. Additionally, many anti-fascist protesters criticized the Portland police for escorting the Proud Boys across the Hawthorne Bridge about 30 minutes into the protest. The Portland Police Department had previously been accused of maintaining cozy relations with the Proud Boys, most notably following the Willamette Week's publication of text message exchange between Joey Gibson, leader of the far-right group Patriot Prayer, and Portland Police Lieutenant Jeff Nia. In response to a criticism that the police department extended preferential treatment to the Proud Boys, a spokesperson for the Portland PD told Rolling Stone, We learned through our liaison officers that one side wanted to leave, so we facilitated the movement which prevented the violence that we predicted before the event. It was purposeful and sexual de-escalation strategy employed by the Portland Police Bureau. During this press conference following the rally, Wheeler explicitly condemned the Proud Boys' crimes, specifically to Biggs' claim that the group would march in Portland every month until the threat of Antifa was eliminated. In the large context of this political climate, Wheeler said the Proud Boys' rally created a sense of uncertainty, a sense of fear in the city. 
I want to be very clear. We do not want him here in my city, period, he said. Those condemned Trump's statement vilifying anti-Von Twitter saying, this is potentially dangerous and volatile situation. Adding to that noise doesn't do anything to support or help the efforts that are going on here in Portland. Despite Wheeler's statements, however, as well as the number of anti-fascist protesters dwarfing those of the Proud Boys and far-right affiliates, Big Friendly declared the rally success largely due to Trump's tweet. We wanted national attention and we got it, he told the Oregonian. Mission success. Okay, so before I get into... I have the wikis pulled up for both Antifa and the Proud Boys. Before I get into them, I gotta say two things, um, which might be a little divisive. Proud Boys is just an obnoxious title for a group. I think anytime you have boys in the title, it just makes you seem infantile and stupid. I just, I don't think you should use boys anything in your title at all. That's just, it's always going to seem childless, or not childless, childlike, or childish. So, yeah, that's my two So that. Antifa seems, I don't know, I'm not, I'm saying I'm, I disagree with what they're doing, but I just think that violence not is not always the answer. I think they're creating a bad names and they're just making it harder to be a liberal person because they're, yeah, it's just, it's creating more problems. I feel like it's helping. That said, I think their, their cause of what they're trying to do is right. They're trying to obviously stop fascism. So let's get into it and then we'll discuss it more. So, I would be right as I close the Antifa post. So I'll dig into the Proud Boys first, and then I will kind of get back into... So the Proud Boys is a far-right neo-fascist organization that admits only men as members and promotes political violence. It is based in the United States, and was a president of Canada, Australia, and the United Kingdom. The group was started in 2016 by Vice Media co-founder and former commentator Gavin McKins. Take its name from the song Proud of Your Boy from the Disney film Aladdin. Well, that just makes it even more childish. I had no idea that's what it is. So, well, let me, I got to see what this song is and how they would get their name from that. So, Proud of Your Boys, a song written by Howard Ashman, the composer Alan Menken, that was cut from the original 1922 Disney made film Aladdin, will be brought back for the film stage musical adaption. Um, let's see. The... Uh, is it, it describes the touching bow that includes the song has led to some critique of the structure of songs in the musical and now plays alongside yada yada yada. It's weird. I didn't take Proud Boys as big musical theater fans, so that's interesting. Um, so Proud Boys merged as a part of an alt right, but in early 2015, McKinney began distancing himself from the alt right, saying the alt right's focus is race, while his focus is on what he defines as Western values. This rebranding effort intensified under the Unite the Right rally. This group sees men, especially white men, as in Western culture as under siege. Their views are the ones of white genocide conspiracy theory. While the group claims it does not support white supremacist views, its members often participate in racist rallies, events, and organizations. The organization glorifies violence, and members engage in violence at events it attends. The Southern Poverty Law Center has called it an alt-right fight club. In late November 2018, a news story which attracted national attention reported that the FBI classified the Proud Boys as an extremist group with ties to white nationalism. However, two weeks later, an FBI official denied that it was their intent to classify the entire group in this manner and ascribed the mistake to a misunderstanding, which is that their intent was to characterize the possible threat from certain members of the group. 
Voters Union has been described as a hate group by NPR's The Takeaway and Southern Poverty Law Center in February 2018. Despite having claimed to have broken ties with the group in November 2018, McInnes filed a federal defamation suit against the SPLC over their hate group designation, saying that it was untrue and has damaged his career. Shortly after McInnes filed the suit, the Canadian far-right media group The Rebel Media, for whom McInnes had previously been a contributor, announced that they had rehired him. Yeah, they have a bunch of uh, events here. But, yeah, basically it's just an organization that was founded under the guise of... Yeah, really, it's almost... It's national. It's not, they might claim it's not race, but it's still pretty much sounds like race, or at least Eastern values, which just sounds like white people. So, let's go with that. Um, now, Antifa, or Antifa, or however you want to pronounce it, they are is a movement composed of left-wing, autonomous, militant, anti-fascist. I'm just not, obviously not a fan of militant. I know everybody needs a militant arm, but that I don't. I just don't know. Um, it's militant, anti-fascist group and individuals in the United States. The principal features of the Antifa groups is use is their use of direct action. With conflicts occurring both online and in real life, they engage in varied protest tactics, which includes digital activism property damage, physical violence, and harassment against those who identify as fascist, racist, or on the far right. Activists involved in the movement tend to be anti-capitalist and ascribe to a range of ideologies typically on the left. They include um, anarchists, socialists, and communists, among with some liberal and social democrats. Yeah, that's that's definitely far left. Uh, their stated focus is on fighting far right and white supremacist ideologies rather than through electoral means. So definitely not speaking at the ballot box is from what I'm getting. So let's see. Looks like uh, I'll just give. Looks like this is a short article. I'll go ahead and kind of dig into it. So Italian dictator Benito Mussolini consolidated power under his National Fascist Party in the mid 1920s. An oppositional anti-fascist movement surfaced both in Italy and countries such as the United States. Many anti-fascist leaders in the United States were syn syndicalist, um, anarchist, and socialist emerges from Italy with experience in labor organization and militancy. Ideologically, Antifa's America sees itself as the successor to anti-Nazi anti -Nazi activists of the 1930s. European activist groups that originally organized to oppose World War II-era fascist dictatorships reemerged in the 70s and 80s to oppose white supremacy and skinheads, eventually spread to America after World War II, but prior to the development of the modern Antifa movement, violent confrontations with fascist elements continued sporadically. Modern Antifa politics can be traced to the opposition of the infiltration of Britain's punk scene by white power skinheads in the 70s and 80s, and the emergence of neo-Nazism in Germany followed, following the fall of the Berlin Wall. In Germany, young leftists, including uh, anarchists and punk fans, renewed the practice of street-level anti-fascism. Colonist Peter Beinhart, or Beinhart, writes that in the late 80s, left-wing punk fans in the United States began following suit. They initially called their group's anti-racist action, or the ARA, on the theory that Americans would be more familiar than fighting racism than they would be fighting fascism. Dartmouth College historian Mark Bray, author of Antifa, the Anti-Fascist Handbook, credits ARA as the precursor of the modern U.S. Antifa groups in the United States and Canada. In the late 80s and 90s, ARA activists toured with popular punk rock and skinhead bands in order to prevent Klansmen, neo-Nazis, and other assorted white supremacists from recruiting. Their motto was, we go where they go, by which they meant that they would confront fart activists and concerts and actively remove their materials from public places. In 2002, the area disrupted a speech in Pennsylvania by Matthew F. Hale, that of the white supremacist group World Church of the Creator, resulting in a fight and a 25 arrest. 
One of the earliest Antifa groups of the U.S. was Rose City Antifa, which was formed in Portland, Oregon in 2007. Now we kind of get why this Portland rally was a thing. Other groups in the U.S. have other genealogies, for example, in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where a group called the Baldies was formed in 87 with the intent to fight neo-Nazi groups directly. The English word Antifa is a loan word from German, taking from an abbreviation of the word Antifasch. It was basically anti-fascist. I don't know why I tried to do the German. In the name of Antifaschtisch Akton, other Oxford which placed Antifa on its shortlist for Word of the Year in 2017, said to the word, emerged from relative obscurity to become an established part of the English lexicon over the course of 2017. The Anti-Defamation League makes a point that the label Antifa should be limited to those who practically seek physical confrontations with the perceived fascist adversaries, not to be misapplied to include all counter-protesters. Okay, I can I can get behind that. So should be limited to those. So Antifa means physical confrontations as opposed to just counter protesting, which I'm fine with. I think that there should be a should be a line in the sand there. Um, ideology Antifa is an interconnected or unified organization, but rather a movement. So it's not an interconnected or unified either a movement with a hierarchical leadership structure comprised multiple autonomous groups and individuals. Activists typically organize protests via social media and through websites. Some activists have built peer-to-peer networks or used encrypted texting services signals like Signal. According to Chauncey De Vega at Salon, Antifa is an organized strategy, not a group of people. The Antifa movement has grown since the 2016 presidential election, and as of August 2017, approximately 200 groups existed of varying sizes and levels of activity. That does involve subscribe to a range of ideologies, typically on the left, and they include... I don't know why, every time I see anarchist written out, I always want to think it says anachrist, which I don't know why. Socialism comes along with some liberals and social democrats. According to Brian Levin, director of the Center of the Study of Hate and Extremism at the California State University San Bernardino, Antifa activists feel the need to participate in violent actions because they believe that leaders are controlled are controlling the government and the media so they need to make a statement head-on against the people who they regard as racist. According to Mark Bray, the adherents reject turning to the police or the state to halt the advanced white supremacy. Instead, they advocate popular opposition to fascism as we witnessed in Charlottesville. The idea of the direct action is essential to the Antifa movement. Former Antifa organizer Scott Crew told in an interview, The idea in Antifa is that we go where they go, they being the right-wingers, that, that hate speech is not free speech, that if you are endangering people with what you say and the actions that are behind them, you do not have the right to do that, and so we go to cause conflict, to shut them down where they are, because we don't believe that Nazis or fascists of any stripe should have a mouthpiece, which I agree with. Emmanuel posted on its going down an anarchist website, warns against accepting people who just want to fight. It furthermore notes that physically confronting and defending against fascists is a necessary part of the anti-fascist work, but it's not the only or even necessarily... The most important part. Also agree. According to Brynard, Antifa activists try to publicly identify white supremacists and get them fired from their jobs and evicted from their apartments. They also disrupt white supremacist realities, including by force. According to Washington Post book review, Antifa tactics include no platforming, i.e. denying their targets the opportunity to speak out in public, obstructing their events and defacing their propaganda, and when Antifa activists deem it necessary, deploy violence to deter them. According to the National Public Radio, Antifa's approach is confrontational, and people who speak for the Antifa movement acknowledge that they sometimes carry clubs and sticks. CNN described Antifa as known for causing damage to property during protest. Scott Crow says that members of Antifa believe that property destruction does not equate to violence. The group is associated with physical violence in public against police. 
And according to Los Angeles Times, they've engaged in mob violence, attacking a small showing of supporters of President Trump and others they accuse sometimes inaccurately of being white supremacists or Nazis. Antifa activists used clubs and dyed liquids against the white supremacists in Charlottesville and caused property damage. In one incident, an apparent Antifa supporter punched white supremacist Richard Spencer in the face, and he was giving an impromptu street interview. On another occasion, some threw Molotov cocktails in Berkeley, California. According to Kansas City, in 2017, Kansas City police told Antifa members to remove ammunition from their firearms at a rally Saturday in Washington Square Park. The three presenters who were also carrying firearms at the rally were also approached by police. Apart from the other activities, Antifa activists engage in mutual aid, such as disaster response in the case of Hurricane Harvey. According to the National Leonard of, in the Nation, as of January 2017, Antifa groups were working with interfaith groups and churches to create a new sanctuary movement, continuing expanding a 40-year-old practice of providing spaces for refugees and immigrants. That's very nice to see. Antifa activists can also do research to monitor and track the methods and movements of far-right leaders, hold conferences and workshops on anti-fascist activism, and advocate ways of fostering sustainable, peaceful communities such as lending neighborhood gardens and settling up booths at book fairs and film festivals where they provide printed materials. In January 2017, the Antifa movement was linked to um, anarchist extremism by the New Jersey Office of Homeland Security and Preparedness. The assessment was replaced with one in 2019, which states that Antifa is a movement that focuses on issues involving racism, sexism, and anti-Semitism, as well as other perceived injustices. The majority of Antifa members do not promote or endorse violence. However, the movement consists of anarchist extremists and other individuals who seek to carry out acts of violence in order to forward their respective agendas. In September 2017, Politico obtained confidential documents that interviews indicating that in April 2016, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and the Federal Bureau of Investigation believed that anarchist extremists were the primary instigators of violence at public rallies against a range of targets. Politico interviewed unidentified law enforcement officials noted a rise in activity since the beginning of the Trump administration, particularly a rise in recruitment and as a part of the far right as well since the Charlottesville Unite the Right rally. One internal assessment acknowledged an inability to penetrate the group's diffuse and decentralized organizational structure. By 2017, the FBI and DHS reported they were monitoring suspicious antifa activities in relation to terrorism. An opportunity petition was lodged with the White House petitioning system, We the People, calling the, upon the government to formally classify Antifa as terrorist. The White House responded in 2018 that federal law does not have a mechanism for formally designated domestic terrorist organizations. The organization later said he had created to bring our broken right side together and to prop up Antifa as a punching bag. Great. In January 2018, a Nebraska Antifa group published a list of names for us of 1,595 U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement officials drawn from LinkedIn profiles. Not great. Um, Antifa activists often use the black block tactic in which people dress in all in black and cover their faces in order to thwart surveillance and create a sense of equality and solidarity among participants. Antifa activists wear masks to hide their identity from testers on the other side who might dox people they disagree with or from police and cameras. And for philosophical reasons such as the beliefs that hierarchies are bad and that remaining anonymous helps keeps one ego in check. That makes sense. Chris Vernstein from BuzzFeed News says Antifa activists also wear masks because they fear retribution from the far right and the cops whom they believe are sympathetic, if not outright supportive, to fascists. That seems a little extreme as well. Um, so some of their notable activism. Antifa groups along with black bloc activists were among those who protested in 2016 election of Donald Trump. 
was participated in the February 2017 Berkeley protest against alt-right speaker Milo Yiannopoulos, where they gained mainstream attention, with media reporting them throwing multiple cocktails and smashing windows and causing $100,000 worth of damage. In April of 2017, two groups described as anti-fascist slash uh, anarchist, I don't know why that's harder for me to say, anarchist, including the Socialist Environmentalist Director Action Alliance, threatened to stop the 82nd Avenue of Rose Parade after hearing the Miltonoma County Republican Party would participate. The parade organizers also received anonymous emails saying, You've seen how much power we have downtown and that the police cannot stop us from turning on roads, so please consider your decision wisely. The two groups not having anything to do with the email. The parade was ultimately canceled by the organizers due to safety concerns. More fun there. On June 15th of 2017, some Antifa groups joined protesters at the Evergreen State College. Man, words are hard tonight. I apologize. Um, at the Evergreen State College to oppose the far-right group Patriots Prayer event. Patriots Prayer was supporting biology professor Brett Weinstein, who became the central figure in a controversy after he criticized changes to one of the college's events. In addition to peaceful activists who held up a community love sign, USA Today reported that one of the slash tires of the far-right activist, Joey Gibson, another was wrestled to the ground by Patriot prayer activists after being seen with a knife. Antifa counter-protested at the 2017 night, the right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia. In August 27, certain used clubs and dyed liquids against the white supremacist. Journalist Adele Stan interviewed an Antifa protest at the rally who said the sticks carried by the protesters are a justifiable countermeasure to the fact that the right has a goon squad. Some Antifa pro uh, participants at the Charlottesville rally chanted the counter-protesters should punch a Nazi in the mouth. Antifa participants also protected Cornell West and various clergy from attack by white supremacists. With West stating he felt the Antifa had saved his life, Antifax has also been at the First United Methodist Church, where the Charlottesville Clergy Collective provided refreshments, using training to the counter-protesters, and according to a local rabbi, chased the white supremacist off with sticks. Groups that have been prepared to protest the Boston Free Speech Rally saw their plans become viral following the violence in Charlottesville. The event drew a largely peaceful crowd of 40,000 counter-protesters. In the Atlantic, McKay Coppin say that 33 people arrested for violent incidents were mostly egged on by the minority of Antifa agitators in the crowd. President Trump shared the protest protested outside his August 2017 rally in Phoenix, Arizona as Antifa. During a Berkeley protest on August 27th of 2017, estimated 100 Antifa protesters joined a crowd of two to 4,000 counter-protesters to confront alt-right demonstrators and Trump supporters who showed up to say for a Say No to Marxism rally that had been canceled by organizers due to security concerns. And then it kind of goes on and on from there um, into... Um, in February of this year, where Antifa has marched in celebration through Stone Mountain, Georgia, as a white supremacist neo-Confederate rally planned to be held at the adjacent Stone Mountain Park, was canceled due to infighting and fear of safety. So, what do we have in the response? So, Antifa actions have been subject to criticism from Republicans, Democrats, and political commentators in the U.S. media. House Minority Leader Lance Pelosi condemned the violence of Antifa activists in Berkeley on August 29, 2017. Conservative talk show host and Fox contributor Laura Ingram suggests labeling Antifa as a terrorist organization. Noam Chomsky described them as a major gift to the right. Other anti-fascists anti on the left even have argued that Antifa attack a symptom of liberal democracy rather than combating structural racism itself, and in doing so distance themselves from revolutionary politics. Dissent editor Michael Kazin stated, Non-leftists often see the left as a disruptive lawless force. Violence tend to confirm that view. Which I can see. The historian Ruth 
Ben Jiat said in July 2018 that throwing a milkshake is not equivalent to killing someone, but because the people in power lied with the right, any provocation, any dissent against right-wing violence backfires. The effect that militancy on the left can become a justification for those in power and allies on the right to crack down on the left. On the other hand, historian and political researcher Mark Bray has said, given the historical and current threat that white supremacists and fascist groups pose, it's clear to me that organized collective self-defense is not only legitimate response, but lamentably an all too necessary response to this threat on many, too many occasions. Alexander Reed Ross, a lecturer in geography and an author on the contemporary right, had said that Antifa groups represented one of the best models for channeling the popular reflexes and spontaneous movements toward confronting fascism in organized and focused ways. Eleanor Penny, an author of fascism and the far right, argues against Chomsky that physical resistance has time and again protected local populations from racist violence and prevented a gathering caucus of fascists from making further inroads into mainstream politics. Cornell West, who attended a counter-protest in the Unite the Right rally, said in an interview, we would have been crushed like cockroaches if not for the anarchists and the anti-fascists, describing a situation where a group of 20 counter-protesters were surrounded by marchers who he described as neo-fascist. The anti-defensionally stated that all forms of anti-violence are problematic. Images of these free speech protesters being beaten by black-clad and medana-masked antifa provide right-wing extremists with a powerful propaganda tool. Also agree. But goes on to state that said... It is important to reject attempts to claim equivalence between the Antifa and the white supremacist groups that they oppose. Also agree. It's a really weird gray area, but I do agree that from the other from other perspectives, it can look bad, but from the inside, it's, it all makes sense. They also mentioned that the most established civilized rights organizations criticize Antifa tax as dangerous and counterproductive. And then we saw, I already talked about the Bill Cassidy's Grews trying to classify them. So, um, there's been hoaxes. So, there have been multiple efforts to discredit Antifa groups via hoaxes on social media. Many of them false flag attacks originating from members of the alt-right and 4chan, posing as members of Antifa groups on Twitter. Some of these hoaxes have been picked up and reported by the f- as fact by right-leaning media. This includes an August 2017 Punch White Women photo hoax campaign spread by fake Antifa Twitter accounts. In one instance... Bellingcat researcher Elliot Higgins discovered an image of British actress Anna Friel portraying a battered woman in the 2007 Women AIDS anti-domestic violence campaign that had been repurposed using fake Antifa Twitter accounts organized by way of 4chan. The images captioned 53% of white women voted for Trump, 53% of white women should look like this, and includes an Antifa flag. Another image featuring an injured woman is captioned, she chose to be a Nazi, choices of consequences includes the hashtag punch a Nazi. Higgins remarks to the BBC that this was a transparent and quite pathetic attempt, but it wouldn't be surprised if white nationalist groups tried to mount more sophisticated attacks in the future. A similar fake image circulated on social media after the Unite the Right rally. The doctored image, actually from a 2009 riot in Athens, was altered to make it look like someone wearing an Antifa symbol attacking a member of the police with a flag. After the 2017 Las Vegas shooting, similar hoaxes... Uh, sorry. After the 2017 Las Vegas shooting, similar hoaxes falsely claimed the shooter was an Antifa member... Another such hoax involved a fake Antifa Twitter account praising the shooting. Another high-profile fake Antifa account was banned from Twitter after it posed with a geotag originating from Russia. Such fake Antifa accounts have been repeatedly reported as a, on as a real by right-leaning media outlets. So that was just Antifa axioms have also been artificial in nature. Now, Fiasita Bloomberg reported that the most tweeted link 
in the Russian-linked network followed by the researchers was a petition to declare Antifa a terrorist group. There's also another group called the Redneck Revolt, which is an anti-capitalist, anti-fascist, and anti-racist group. There's also a refused fascism group, which is an organization opposed to the presidency of Donald Trump. There's skinheads against racial prejudice. So those are some other groups out there if you want to look into it. Now, before um, before I kind of get out of here, I kind of want to pivot real quick to um, what I said at the beginning about the whole thing with Greenland. It's not obnoxious. It sounds like a like an Onion article, and I actually even saw a tweet just before I was recording this that showed um, a picture of Greenland with a large Trump tower on it that Trump actually tweeted himself saying he wouldn't do this to Greenland, which seems obnoxious itself and seems still like it's a fake account. Like I had to double check that it was a, his real Twitter account. It was at real Donald Trump, which, oh man, that's, that's something else. But speaking of this whole thing with Greenland, so here's an article from the New York Post about the Danish Prime hopes that Trump isn't serious about buying Greenland. So, Greenland is not for sale, and the idea of selling it to the United States is absurd, Denmark's prime minister said on Sunday after an economic advisor to President Donald Trump confirmed the U.S. interest in buying the world's largest island. Greenland is not for sale. Greenland is not Danish. Greenland belongs to Greenland. Strongly hope this is not meant seriously. Danish prime minister Met Fredriksen said, told the newspaper, Sermis, I can't pronounce that, during a visit to Greenland. Trump is due to visit Copenhagen early next month when the Arctic will be on the agenda in its meetings with Fredrickson and Prime Minister Kim Kielsen of Greenland and autonomous Danish territory. White House Economic Advisor Larry Kudlow on Sunday confirmed media reports earlier this week that Trump had privately discussed with his advisors the idea of buying Greenland. I don't want to predict an outcome. I'm just saying the president, who knows a thing or two about buying real estate, wants to take a look at a Greenland purchase. Okay. Um, Kudlow also said the usage was developing and know that U.S. President Harry Truman also wanted to buy Greenland. Denmark owns Greenland. Denmark is an ally. Greenland is a strategic place up there, and they've got a lot of valuable minerals. Okay. A defense treaty between Denmark and the United States dating back to 1951 gives the U.S. military rights over the Tula Air Base in northern Greenland. Greenland, located between the North Atlantic and Arctic Oceans, is dependent on Danish economic support. It handles its own domestic affairs, while Copenhagen looks after defense and foreign policy. It's an absurd discussion with Kim Kielsen at has, of course, made it clear that Greenland is not for sale. That's where the competition ends, Ferguson told the Danish broadcaster DR. On Friday, Greenland's foreign minister, Anne Lone Badger, told Reuters, we are open for business, but we're not for sale, which I think is a great response. Yeah, I you can't just go and buy a country or an island or whatever. That's just... It's not Jeffrey Epstein's island. You can't just go buy it if you have enough money and enough connections. So... I don't know if that's just a little obnoxious to me. Uh, Trump said this is essentially a large real estate deal. I no. Um, but yeah, the Fox News has an article also about it. Um, Trump, he addressed the rumors with the report outside Marine One after he landed in Morristown, New Jersey, saying Denmark's been losing money by keeping Greenland under its control. He said essentially it's a large real estate deal. A lot of things can be done. It's hurting Denmark very badly because they're losing almost $700 million a year carrying it. He said, so they carried a great loss and strategically for the United States, it would be nice. We're a big ally of Denmark and we help Denmark and we protect Denmark. Trump said he may be visiting Greenland in the near future, but claimed the issue is not a top priority for his administration. Yeah, definitely. Like, why? Is it just to... I feel like Trump is just looking at past presidents and trying to check as many boxes as possible in his own way. So... I don't know. It just seems odd, but 
when has anything about this administration been seen as normal? But that is a topic for another episode. That will do it for Poor360 for this week. I am Andrew Poor. You guys have a great week. You've been listening to Poor360. You can find us on the socials at Poor360 on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find us and all the other podcasts on our network at journeyintocomics.com or early access at patreon.com slash journeyintocomics. You can find us on all podcasting platforms like CastBox, Podbean, Stitch Radio, Spotify, and many others.